Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Thank you, Terry. If you were on this campus at all from 9 to noon, Monday through Thursday, you would know that this was the week of Vacation Bible School. It was packed with kids. We had over 120 children on our campus and numerous volunteers helping out. I I know my own kids really enjoyed it, uh, and they learned that God is with us wherever we go. In fact, there's a song that goes without. I won't uh, try to sing it, but uh, this emphasis of God's presence with us and and discovering the love of God, it was uh, deep discovery was the theme of the whole time. And it reminds me this week, um, I was taking my son John to the pool, and, and he had packed his own bag for the pool, and of course he had a towel, but I also noticed that he had his blanket and my, jo- my son, John, is six years old. He's kind of like my Linus. You know, he still carries that blanket around. And so I'm trying to encourage him a little bit, maybe not to have to bring a blanket to the pool. I said, hey, buddy, uh, why is your blanket here? And he goes, well, well he's my buddy. And I said, well, well, John, I thought I was your buddy. And he's like, yeah, you're my buddy. But, you know, God is my best buddy because he's with me wherever I go. I said, that's right, John. God is your best buddy. He's with you wherever you go. That was one of the theme songs of this week's Vacation Bible School. And actually, our Vacation Bible School has become a great opportunity for outreach in our community. You may not know this, but 50% of the children who come to our Vacation Bible School are not from our church. They come from the community at large. And it's great because we get to, at the last day on Thursday, my wife, uh, who was leading one of those rooms, got to take the children through through the Romans Road. You may be familiar with these passages of Scripture, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5, 8, and Romans 10, 9. If you don't have these passages of Scripture memorized, then I would encourage you to write those down and then maybe to make that a part of your plan for this week. This tells the plan of salvation. Romans 3, 23, 6, 23, 5, 8, and 10, 9. You might write that down real fast. Romans 3, 23 tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. As we stand before God's judgment seat, we are all found guilty of sin. And the just punishment for our sin is is death. But the good news of the gospel that we find in Romans 5 verse 8, that I quote a lot here on Sundays, is that God demonstrates his own love towards us in this, that while we were yet sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus has paid the ultimate price with his death on a cross. He who was without sin became sin for us. 
by dying on a cross on behalf of our, for our sins. And then Romans 10.9 tells us that we can receive this great gift simply through faith. That if you confess with your lips Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you have those four passages of Scripture memorized, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8, and Romans 10.9, you will be able to share the plan of salvation, the good news of God's love with anyone, anytime. And my wife took the children through the Romans road uh, that last Thursday, and many of them came to Christ. It was amazing just to see what God did in this four weeks of vacation Bible school. And so I want to just thank everyone who volunteered with Vacation Bible School. If you helped with Vacation Bible School in any way, can you just stand up for a moment? We just want to thank God for you. Can you do that? Stand up. Reed, I know you're here tomorrow. Please stand up. I know you guys don't want to, but thank you. You know, every time we baptize a little baby here in our sanctuary, we all as a congregation, we say we're going to make a commitment to help this family raise this child in the faith. It's a, a congregational commitment. We're going to help, raise, help these family raise these children in the faith so that one day with their own lips, the children can confess that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. And as Romans 10.9 says, and therefore be saved. V- Vacation Bible School is a great way to get, make, fulfill that commitment, to spend four days four mornings pouring into the life of the next generation for the cause of Christ. If you enjoyed VBS or maybe you're not able to do VBS because of your own work schedule, every Sunday morning we have Sunday school from 9.45 to 10.45, a great opportunity to to volunteer to help teach our children. I took the month of January a couple years ago and did the story time, and it was so much fun just hanging out with the kids from 9.45 to 10.45. You know, it was interesting after we... um, enrolled in the Sticky Faith uh, program with Fuller Youth Institute. Fuller is a seminary in Pasadena, California. One of the big discoveries that they had was that in order for, church, for ch- children to stay in the church through college or to come back to the church after college, the number one indicator of whether or not they were going to do that was did they have an intergenerational church experience as a child? Did they have people from older generations pouring into them? Not just paid staff, but rather volunteer staff, people volunteer people, helping lay leaders, helping pour into them the good news of God's love. To this day, I still remember Jerry Garr, Larry Bell, Frank Cahoon, and Susie Boldrick faithfully teaching my Sunday school when I was a kid at First Presbyterian Church of Midland. I remember how they shared the good news of God's love with me every Sunday school. In fact, I knew the the good news of God's love because my parents told me about it. I heard it from the pulpit. And in Sunday school, these lay leaders would give of their time and their talents and pour into us and share God's love with us. That left an impression. And I experienced the love of God firsthand through those lay leaders. According to the Fuller Youth Institute, who studied numerous American churches with some amazing youth groups that have large youth groups, amazing youth groups would, would graduate 100 or 100 plus kids every year, amazing groups. But only 50% of those kids would go to church in college or even come back to church after college. Only 50%. And the 50% who would come back, they found out as they did individual interviews of these young people, they found that consistently, all of them had had an intergenerational church experience. That's one of the reasons we practice Parenting in the Pew, where we encourage parents to bring their children to church, to, to worship with them in the sanctuary, because we know what Proverbs 22, verse 6 tells us. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. One of the ways that we train up a child in the way he or she should go is by by teaching them how to worship, by joining us, their church family, worshiping God together. Now, at the risk of sounding like Dana Carvey from the old Saturday Night Live skits, 
grumpy old man. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's long back in the 80s and 90s. Dana Carvey used to dress up like this old man. He used to always begin every sentence with saying, back in my day, back in my day, everyone seemed to go to church. Back in my day, there wasn't anything opened on Sundays. We had blue laws. Do anybody remember the blue laws? The late 70s, early 80s, that's my day. Back in my day, which wasn't that long ago, nothing was open on Sundays. Retailers were not open. The grocery stores were open. A few movie theaters were open. A few restaurants were open. But for the most part, everything was closed on Sunday. And so our culture was encouraging us to be in church because there was no other place to be in Midland, Texas on Sunday mornings. That's where the action was. That's not the way it is today. Now today, there's all kinds of things pulling vine for our attention. There's, of course, uh, uh, kids' sports now that that have games on Sundays, I wouldn't even think, thought about in my day, back in my day. In fact, now we've got retailers and we've got all kinds of entertainment opportunities and, of course, work now uh, because of work responsibilities. Often we have to work on Sundays. It's back in my days, in the late 70s, early 80s, when I was a child, it seemed like everybody was in church and church was a two-hour affair. You had Sunday school and you had worship and everybody went. And we all sat in worship together. And even though I fell asleep in a few sermons, and if kids do that to me today, I know it's because I'm getting paid back for what times I fell asleep on pastors back in Midland. But even though I would fall asleep occasionally, my parents, every Sunday, we would go home for lunch. And there were two basic questions they would ask of me. What did you learn in Sunday school? And what did you learn in the sermon? And just that simple questioning of me at lunchtime taught me to pay attention. It taught me how to listen. It taught me that what's going on in church is important because everybody in the community is there on Sunday mornings. And my family was committed to doing it every Sunday. Yes, on Sundays, church was the place to be in the late 70s and early 80s. But times have changed, haven't they? Did you know that the millennials, which is the, the youngest generation in our country today, those who were born in the 1990s, um, those who were born in the 1990s and, and younger, it's the most unchurched generation our country has ever had. According to the Pew Research Center, only 19% of young millennials identify themselves as evangelical Protestant Christians. Only 19%. And the most troubling statistic is this. Of that same generation, while only 19% are saying I'm a, a Protestant evangelical Christian, 36% of themselves identify themselves as non-religious or agnostic. This is the first time in the history of our country that there are more people who are non-religious or agnostic rather than calling themselves evangelical Protestant Christians. Times have changed. How are we supposed to reach the next generation for the kingdom of Christ? How are we supposed to fulfill the great commission of making disciples of all nations and you could say all generations? How are we going to reach that next generation that right now 36% of them are saying they're non-religious or they're agnostic? More people are saying they're non-religious than they are Christian. How are we going to reach them? To find out, open your Bibles to Ezra chapter 3 verses 8 through 13. Ezra chapter 3 verses 8 through 13. Before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you inspired people to put pen to paper so that we might have your written word today. We pray, O oh Lord, that again by your spirit this morning, you might give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that might be open and transformed 
at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your Son's precious name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Ezra chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. Listen to the word of the Lord. Now in the second year, after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, just to catch you up to speed, last week Will Esler gave a powerful sermon about uh, Daniel and how the people of Israel were sent off into exile after being conquered by the Babylonians. They had to live in exile in Babylon. And Daniel was one of the faithful followers of God who God delivered from the lion's den, as we all remember that story, Daniel in the lion's den. And God's deliverance, as Will pointed out, helped King Darius, this pagan, God, pagan king, realize that the God of Israel was the one true God. Well, now by a miraculous work of God's hand, God has called King Cyrus, a Persian pagan king, to allow the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem. It's been 67 years, specifically, since they were conquered by the Babylonians. Almost 70 years, as the prophet Jeremiah prophesies. And now, by a a work of God's hand, God has told King Cyrus of Persia to allow the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And so now, in the second year, after they've come back, after they're coming to the house of God at Jerusalem... In the second month, which, interestingly to point out, this is the exact month in which Solomon originally built the temple of God that they first worshipped in. But that temple has been destroyed. But at that same month, now they're gathering to rebuild the foundation. Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedek, made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua with his sons and his brothers and Kadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen in the house of God, along with the sons of Henadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests and their And their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, the king of Israel. And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout, and they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away." Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid, but many of the priests and Levites And heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Can you believe that? 
They have been miraculously delivered from exile. The Israelites, Cyrus, this pagan Persian king, allows the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem to to rebuild the temple, to, to build a new foundation, to start a new temple. And most people are rejoicing, but the older Levites, the older priests, see how small the new foundation is compared to the old one. And rather than rejoicing in God's grace, they're weeping that things aren't the way they used to be. They're weeping, mourning, grieving that their expectations of the past are not going to be met today. It's these old Levites, rather than celebrating, are weeping as they look at the foundation of the new temple. Like I said just a few moments ago, back in my day, everybody seemed to go to church, but now they're not. These Levites, these old Levites who remember the old temple, see this new foundation being laid, and they go, wow, that's not nearly as big as the old temple was that King Solomon built. This is not at all meeting my expectations. It's not at all like it was back in my day. Back in my day, late 70s, early 80s, the church was a lot different. Everybody went. Our community and our culture even supported that. That's not the way it is today, is it? Now, we could spend our time grumbling, groaning, and grieving that things are not the way they used to be. Or, like the young people in Ezra chapter 3, we can begin to celebrate what God is doing today. Notice in verse 8 of our text this morning, it says, They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. Now, according to Numbers chapter 4, verse 3, you had to be 30 to 50 as a Levite in order to help with the house of the Lord, to help with the worship of God, to help in the tabernacle back then. You had to be 30 to 50, but now they're employing and encouraging those 20 years old and upward. This is a new thing. They're recruiting young people to help lead all of the body of Christ. And I believe one of the reasons that our Vacation Bible School was so successful this past week is because under the leadership of Kim Talley, he actively recruited members of the Gap Group, which is our young singles group, and and members of our A&O youth group to help volunteer, to help minister to these young children in our Vacation Bible School program. I love the story that Michael Ann Bell tells of one of our youth volunteers, Emilio Buchanan. You may know his parents, Kent and Josie Buchanan. Emilio went to Vacation Bible School the first day, and he noticed that two of the children that are normally in Sunday school on Sunday mornings that he helps volunteer with weren't there. And so he was troubled by this. And so with his mom, he contacted the grandmother who's helping raise these uh, two young children. He said, hey, they're not in Vacation Bible School. And she explained that because of her work, she couldn't give them a ride. And so he said, oh, well, we'll take care of that. And so with his mom, they went and picked up these two young children and brought them to Vacation Bible School for those remaining three days. These kids could learn about the love of Christ firsthand through all of our lay volunteers. Yes, that's outreach. One of our young people ministering to those who are younger than himself. I'm so grateful for the leadership of Mike Landbell and Debbie Lauer and Heidi Corona and our, and our youth and our children's ministry as well as our kids' ministry team that has this vision of of this intergenerational ministry, the sticky faith concept that we need to make sure that our younger, I mean our older, are pouring into our younger. And whatever the age, whether it be middle school pouring into elementary age or high school pouring into middle school, making sure that there's this intergenerational connection where we're pouring into one another, equipping the next generation, those who are faithful, available, and teachable 
as the people did in Ezra chapter 3, equipping that next generation to take a leadership role in the life of the church and the life of God's people. Yes, once we equip our young people to begin to volunteer and help minister to the needs of others, they will quickly realize that there's nothing greater than giving your time, talents, and treasures to the work of God's kingdom as you see a young person's life come to faith in Christ. If we want to reach the next generation for the kingdom of Christ, if we want to reverse this trend among the millennials, we have to equip and empower the faithful, available, and teachable young people in our church today. And we have to be willing to change. Specifically, we need to focus on what God is doing today and not focus on our own personal preferences from the past and the way things used to be back in our day. Now, don't get me wrong, it's great to celebrate the past, to celebrate God's past faithfulness, as we did this last September when we celebrated 125 years of this wonderful church's history, as generation is poured into to generation. But if we're not careful, we can be so focused on the past that we can allow it to become an idol that ignores the present and impedes the future. In Isaiah 43, God says that he's doing a new thing. We need to prayerfully see what is the new thing that God might be doing in the midst of our community today. It's true that the temple that they're building is not going to be as big as the old one. It's not going to be as grand as the one that King Solomon built. It's not going to be like it was, but were the old days really that great? As we've been learning through the story, our journey through the Bible in its narrative form, when we read the story of King Solomon, do you remember how many wives King Solomon had? 700. 700 foreign wives and 300 concubines. And unfortunately, these wives over time began to turn King Solomon's heart towards their foreign gods so that towards the end of his reign, he actually built places of worship for these foreign gods. And beginning with King Solomon, idolatry became a constant problem with the people of Israel. Idolatry was so bad that eventually the northern kingdom of Israel was conquered by the Assyrians as they ignored God. They didn't turn to God, but they turned to the idols and the false gods like Baal. And Asher. And the same began to happen to the southern kingdom in Judah. Eventually, they're conquered by the Babylonians. Yes, it was idolatry, the idolatry of Solomon that he helped instigate that eventually led to the division of the northern and southern kingdom, eventually the conquering of the northern kingdom, and the conquering of the southern kingdom. Yes, back in Solomon's day, things weren't really that great. But sometimes we can make the, the past greater than it really was because we focus on it. And our heart and our expectations are built on the past rather than keeping our eyes open to what God might be doing today. You know, as I look at Ezra 3 and I think about the people of Israel and how most were rejoicing but some were weeping, I can't help but notice that when we focus on the past and our own wants and our own expectations, we tend to complain. But when we focus on God and what God is doing today, then we worship. When we turn our hearts and minds towards God and what God is doing today, we tend to worship. Now, it's true that church statisticians like Tom Rayner and, and uh, George Barna will tell us that overall worship attendance in this country has declined, that church membership has declined. You may know that this church in 1980, this church had 2,000 members. Today, it has just less than 1,000. Our culture today, though, is very different than it was in 1980. I know I was alive in 1980. I wasn't here, but I was in Midland. Very different. 
Our culture used to encourage worship attendance and, and church membership. That was a part of the culture. You, you would ask people, where do you go to church? Not if you go to church. It was assumed that you went to church because everybody went to church. There was nothing else to do on Sundays. That's not the way it is today. But as Jesus tells us in John chapter 4, when he meets with the Samaritan woman at the well, he says, our God seeks people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. If you're here today, it's not because the culture is telling you to come here. You're here because God, you know God wants you to be here. You're grateful for what God has done. And you're here because you want to be here. And isn't that who God wants? Jesus doesn't tell us to make cultural Christians, does he? Jesus tells us to go and make disciples. And disciples are followers of Christ, followers of God, who are willing to sacrifice, who are, who are willing to give up their own wants and their own desires for the cause of Christ, who are willing to die to themselves, recognizing that after all, that is what Jesus did for us. He died so that we might be saved. As Terry read just a moment ago in Ephesians chapter 2, the walls of hostility that used to divide us between us and God and the walls of hostility that used to divide us between ourselves has now been torn down by the cross of Jesus Christ because at the foot of the cross, the ground is truly level. We're all sinners in need of God's grace. And, and Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He came and he lived in perfect obedience to our Heavenly Father and then he died on a cross, paying the price for our sins. And then on the third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death on our behalf. So now... We live our lives out of gratitude for what God has done for us. We love God out of gratitude for what God has done for us. Because at the cross of Christ, we can see that God loves us not because of anything we've done. No, it's in spite of what we've done that God loves us. God loves us because he loves us. And he's demonstrated the full extent of his love that while we were yet sinners, as Romans 5, 8 says, his son died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And out of gratitude for the unconditional, sacrificial love of Jesus, we now feel compelled to share that love with others. And if there's a generation that needs our love, it's the millennials. It's the generation behind us. And we've got to do all we can to pour into them. So that as we read in Philippians chapter 2, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ alone is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes, if we want to reach the next generation for the cause of Christ... We've got to find those faithful, available, teachable young people. And we've got to empower them and equip them to help lead in worship, to help lead in, in the work of this church. And we've got to prayerfully keep our eyes open to the new thing that God is doing today. I mentioned the announcements that we're going to have a new members class in room 206. If you want to know what this church is about, every church in town is about Jesus. I can't just claim that. Yeah, we're about Jesus. But if I were going to say there are two unique adjectives that might describe this church, I would say that we're missional and we're intergenerational. We're missional because we're a downtown church and we know that we've been blessed to be a blessing and we would do all that we can to be sent out as the people of God, living our lives as salt and light or in the community, loving our neighbors ourselves. And Janie Singleton's going to tell you about that in just a moment, about how we can do that in a very tangible way uh, as a part of helping the Downtown Women's Center. But also we're intergenerational. We're a church that welcomes the next generation and we pour into the next generation knowing that if we want to help raise up the next generation for the kingdom of Christ, we've got to be in relationships with them. We've got to equip them as they did in Ezra chapter 3. We've got to equip the next generation to help start leading today. Please join me as we pray. 
God, I thank you for what you're doing in our church. I thank you for this last week of VBS and just to see all of our adult volunteers, but also to see all of our youth volunteering, to see the Gap group and, the, and our high school students and even our middle school students who are, who are making an investment in the, in the children of this church, the next generation, taking that vow seriously that we all make when we baptize a baby, saying we will help this family raise their child in the faith. God, help us to be a church that welcomes every generation and helps equip every generation for the cause of Christ. And help us to be a church that continues to send people out, out into the community, to be your hands and feet, to be salt and light, to point others by the things that we say and the things that we do to your amazing love. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ, and all God's people said, amen.